Hello, friend. My name is Todd Martin, and I'm the pastor at Smithville Mennonite Church. And I'm so glad you're taking time right now to hear a word from God. He has something he wants to say to you today. So to get started, let me pray. O oh Lord, as always, let there be more of you and less of me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The title of today's sermon is Beware of These Bad Boys. Now, I try to regularly take suggestions for topics and text that I preach on. One of the ways I get this information is my sermon survey that I do every hundred sermons. Well, I hit my 600th sermon at Smithville Mennonite in May of 2020 while we were still shut down for the pandemic. Needless to say, I did no survey. Now, it's been another year, and I'm now on sermon number 645. So, you listeners are way overdue for telling me what to preach on. So, don't worry, the survey is coming. And if you want to be a part of that survey, I'm going to give you some information at the end of the message so you can contact me or Smithville Mennonite. But I must confess... I still haven't preached on a book I was asked to in my last survey, which was in 2017. For years, I've had the book of Jude suggested, but honestly, I didn't want to preach it. Even though it's a very small book, 25 verses, just like Philemon, which we finished preaching last time, it's a rough letter. It's something Jude didn't want to write, but he felt he had to. Sometimes in life, we just need to say things we don't want to, even in church. Jude, the author of this inspired letter, is believed to have been the half-brother of Jesus and the full brother of James and Jesus's other brothers. Now, these boys were the ones who didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah and maybe even made fun of him. Jesus was the big brother, and what younger sibling doesn't struggle to listen or believe their older siblings? But after Jesus rose from the grave, that changed, and his brothers believed wholeheartedly. In fact, they became leaders of the church and passionate protectors of their newfound spiritual family. This is the essence of Jude's letter. And I might say, in two words, Jude's letter simply means this. Be warned. You see, something bad is happening, and Jude is sounding an alarm to protect the church. Now, why does the church need protected? Because the church is valuable. I remember living in Amsterdam, and I was going to the National Art Museum called the Rijksmuseum, and it holds many great artistic treasures, but probably none more valuable than the Night Watch by Rembrandt. With an estimated worth of over $500 million today, I remember going to see it. 
the largest of all of Rembrandt's paintings. It stretches almost 12 feet by 14 feet. In the room where it was displayed, there were armed guards with fire extinguishers at their sides. You see, the painting had been attacked multiple times in the last hundred years. People attempted to destroy it with knives and acid, and so it is vigilantly guarded. All things of value are. And this is why Jude wrote this letter, which we have as a book of the Bible. If I would give you today's sermon in a sentence, which is the first of two messages from the book of Jude, I would say the sermon in a sentence is this. The church is worth protecting. The church is worth protecting. Now, if you like a point that rhymes or a sermon in a sentence that rhymes, I'll give you this one as a bonus. Jude was one protective dude. Jude was one protective dude. This is why Jude writes what he writes. The church is God's most treasured possession. It is of infinite value. And it was under attack. And Jude is standing guard. Listen to what he has to say. Why? The church is still under attack. And we can learn much from this faithful brother through the inspired letter that he wrote. So by now, uh, if you haven't already opened to the book of Jude in your Bible, it would be a good time to do that. You can find Jude, though it is a very tiny book. It is the book uh, second to the back in your Bible. So if you open your Bible and you see in the back the book of Revelation, just keep going uh, towards the front. And you will find the little book of Jude. Now, again, if you don't have a Bible you can read and understand, stick around till the end of this message and I'll let you know how I can get you one. Again, I'm in the book of Jude and there's no chapters. So it's just verse one. Jude verse one. Please follow along as I read. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. In verses 1 through 4, I'll give you a sub-point, what I hope that you hear, and that is simply this, we need to contend. Now, if you're someone who underlines uh, words or phrases in your Bible, you should underline in verse 3 the word contend. And then I would give you an application question. 
How are you fighting for your faith? Now, in verses 1 and 2, please note that he claims to be a servant of Jesus and a brother of James. He doesn't claim to be Jesus' brother. Rather, he's just a servant. We find Jude to have humility. Now, in verse 3, he reveals his original intent for writing was about shared salvation. You know, wouldn't it be great if we could just talk about good stuff all the time? If we could just talk about pleasantries and the fun stuff. But, you know, he needs to write something else. Then comes the call to contend. Now, the term contend comes from the world of wrestling. It means to put forth incredible effort, purple-faced, gritted teeth, effort that means you are fighting for something. And this something is your faith, entrusted to the saints. In a word, it's your church. You're fighting for your church. You're contending for your church. Now, verse 4 is the beginning warning. Men have secretly slipped among you, bad guys who are trading grace for immorality. You know this is nothing new. One of the greatest things about following Jesus is the grace he gives us, forgiveness for our sins. That we can just ask for forgiveness and be forgiven. This is amazing in every sense but some see it as a license to sin. What do I mean by a license to sin? It's kind of like your driver's license. You know, your driver's license gives you the freedom to drive your car, but you shouldn't drive it 110 miles an hour. That's taking too much license. That's abusing the license. This is dangerous, and Jude will illustrate this shortly, but first... Let me give you some application. There are many things we need to contend for today. The church must stand against immorality in all of its forms. And friends, I see such immorality in our culture and even in the church. Be it rebellion, greed, hatred, or lust. We must clearly understand the gift of forgiveness is not to be abused by being used as a free pass to sin more. No way. That's what these men were doing. Friends, we need to contend. We must fight for the integrity of the church in ourselves and in our brothers and sisters who are a part of the church. But to make it clear, Jude gives us illustrations that his original readers would have known. I'm going to continue in verse 5. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who didn't believe. And the angels who did not keep their position of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment day. Verse 7. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Finally, verse 8. In the very same way, 
These dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. Now, I'm going to stop here and give you the fill in the blank and do a little explaining before I finish uh, reading through verse 13. So let me just give you this sub point. In these verses, we find the value of bad examples. The value of bad examples. And then I would just ask you this. Who are the bad examples in your life? Now, as said before, the readers of this letter originally would have known these stories. Jude refers to, since it's believed they were mostly Jewish. Now, Jews at that time were a lot like Christians of today. They had access to the Bible, but also lots of other books. The Bible was and is seen as the essential, but the other books were important too. Now, we know most of these bad examples as they are in the Bible. Verse 5, if you look at that, it's actually from Numbers chapter 14. God's people, freshly delivered out of Egypt, refused to go into the promised land, and God basically says, okay, you don't want to go? None of you will go. Forty years later, in the desert, everyone had passed away except Joshua and Caleb, who God said could go into the promised land. Verse 6 is from Genesis 6-4, and it's one of the weirder stories in the whole Bible. When angels left heaven to have sex with women from earth, which was beginning a sinful decline that led ultimately to Noah's flood. Now, verse 7 is from Genesis 19.23, where men tried to have sex with angels and their cities were destroyed. Now, there are two common elements in these illustrations. We see in verse 8, rebellion against God and sexual sin, which it would seem these men do as well. This is an alarm sounding. God won't spare anyone who willfully sins against him. Angel, human, or chosen nation. But then God gives us a few more examples that we might not know. I'm going to continue in verse 9 and go through verse 13. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that will destroy them. Verse 11. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for a prophet into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted, twice dead. Finally, verse 13, they are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars from whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Now, verse 9 gives us one example 
that is lifted from another book of that time called The Assumption of Moses. Now again, Jews of the time when Jude wrote this probably would have known this story and known this book, but we really don't. This is where an angel and the devil are disputing about Moses' body. Now I know this sounds really strange, but what we know from the Bible is that Moses' body was never found. That is, until uh, Jesus met him on the Mount of Transfiguration. So maybe the devil tried to claim that since he had killed a man or since he wasn't going to the promised land, he should have claim over his body. But we see here the angel rebuked him in the name of the Lord. Now the whole point of this is not even an angel tries to take on the devil by his own authority, but he rebukes him in the name of the Lord. Apparently, these bad guys were trying to go on their own. They're talking about heavenly things without heavenly authority. Now, verse 10 basically says these guys are loose cannons, but they will eventually blow up on themselves. Now, next we are given a flurry of verses about Cain, Balaam, Korah. All these folks rebelled against God and came to bitter ends. These are all in your Old Testament and make clear the reality that if you follow God and then turn on him, it will not end well. This is the state of certain slippery men. They knew God, but then they turned to their own wicked ways. What's worse? It seems they want to lead others astray too. Now this is the worst part of truly wicked people. They always seem to want to find a following and turn other people as wicked as they are. Then, just in case you didn't quite get it, Jude gives us vivid illustrations from nature in verses 12 and 13. These are sad pictures of people who are seeking to destroy the church. And Jude wants to warn us strongly against these bad guys that we need to beware of. A bad example can be a great way to see what not to do. Friend, if you don't learn from your bad examples, you can become one. So who are the bad examples you need to learn how not to live? I'm going to finish us up now with verses 14 through 16 in the book of Jude. Follow along again from the book of Jude, verses 14 through 16. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy one to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way, and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Verse 16. These men are grumblers, fault finders. They follow their own desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Now your sub point for verses 14 through 16 the ungodly will be judged and are described. The ungodly will be judged and are described. Then I would challenge you, have you seen people like this? 
Have you seen people like this? Now, Enoch, the man that's talked about in these verses, knew a lot about bad boys. But who was Enoch? The text tells us he's the seventh generation from Adam. He actually wrote a book, not surprisingly, called the Book of Enoch. Now, it never made it into the Bible, but was still a book the average Jew knew. And Enoch lays out the, I, the destiny of these bad boys. They are, this is like a biblical wanted poster. Enoch says, okay, the ungodly are like wanted men waiting for the sheriff to come to town with his posse. In verse 14, he will come and he will undoubtedly get these ungodly guys. Now, if you recall, Enoch himself lived in a time of severe decline for humanity, primarily because they forgot about God. He lived right before the flood of Noah, and things were bad. Now, while his prophecy was for the near future, when all these bad boys of his day would be washed away in the flood, Jude, the author of this letter, brings Enoch's words into the Bible as a warning for today. So what should we take away from these 17 verses? First, that just like in Jesus' time, we too must contend for our faith-filled family, the church. There will always be things and people who want to tear the church down. We must be diligent in holding each other accountable and being accountable. We must contend. Next, we must look at the bad examples around us and take note. Now, I hate to admit that a powerful preacher like Ravi Zacharias could have been involved in such terrible things as he has been accused. The evidence is piling up and it makes me sick. How could have this man slid so far? But then I ask myself, how accountable am I? More to the point, who am I accountable to? Could I ask the same of you? Friend, again, we need to learn from bad examples or we will become one. Finally, know that judgment will come. The church will be protected. God will not stand by forever. Time will run out to confess and repent. If you see a bad boy or girl in church who's causing damage, look at verse 16. These men are grumblers, fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. These are signs to watch out for in others and in ourselves. Jude gives us these warnings because God's precious church, his beautiful bride, is worth protecting. I hope we can, too, help protect her even today. Let us pray. Oh Lord, thank you for this word to the church. I pray that you would help us to protect your church and that you would remind us that we need to have integrity as we serve you. I pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Now, before I go, I'd like you to know 
that if you want to hear more of these messages, they are available on our podcast, which you can find at our website, smc585.org, or just Google Smithville Mennonite, and then click on the podcast button. All these radio messages are available right there 24-7. I would also encourage you, if you need a Bible or someone to pray with, let me know by calling 330-669-3601. Again, that number, 330-669-3601. Or you can reach us through our website as well. Now, I'd like to leave you now with a beautiful song that we actually sang in our worship service last week. But this one is performed by the Fountain View Academy. It has a full orchestra and ocean waves in the background. This is a powerful hymn of faith. I hope you'll enjoy. It's called, He Leadeth Me. I hope you are blessed as you listen. And that God will lead you into the coming week as well. Amen. Thank you.